Hello, and welcome back to Sound Up Seattle, your one-stop shop for everything Washington sports. I'm your host, John Carey, and my lesser degree co-host... Uh-huh, sure. Tyler Cartwright. <laughs> assistant? How, how do you phrase it? I would take head coach, and you could be the, the, <laughs> you could be the recruiter. <laughs> you're, you're the Ty Lue to my LeBron James. I'll take that. <clears throat> um, anyway, we're here today to talk about all the major news in Seattle sports, which everyone's very excited about. A lot of big news. There's a ton going on. The Mariners, back to 500. That'll be fun. Um, Kraken at home. Sonics, not yet in existence. And Seahawks, waiting for the start of the regular season. And you guys, waiting for the Seahawks discussion, which is still not ready. But it's so close, guys. It is so, so, so close. Keep waiting on that. Um... So we've got a bit of a hodgepodge podcast for you guys today. Maybe that'll be fun. You know, a little variety in your variety sports podcast. Um, we'll try not to get too bogged down and bounce around, stay loose, stay limber. Um, but just enjoy just enjoy us talking about sports. Yeah. And, you know, our personality. That's what really shines through in this podcast. Exactly. Nobody comes here for the sports. They come here <laughs> for the sweet, sweet baritone. Um, anyway, before we get started, a little coyote picnic. Why don't we get started on the Mariners? We yeah, the, a, the one sports team that's actually going right now? Correct. And we did have a big Mariners discussion last time, so we may not need to dive too deep into the boys. But how has it been going? Yeah, since we last talked, I believe they were playing the Braves at the time. Um, oh, that or, no, it was, was it was a day off. It was, yeah, yeah. it was the next next day. Um and they went one and two against the Braves, who were a really good team, and they really had a fighting chance in every single game. Uh, so not much to really complain about there. I think you know you could talk about the hitting and how it didn't live up, or the bullpen kind of was a little lackluster, considering we got a quality start from Bryce Miller, and I think um, Logan Gilbert had a really good start as well, um, and also Kirby. You know, three three of our young bucks really did pretty well, but I think the bullpen just gave up some runs late, which you can kind of do against the Braves. Uh, I think I think uh, in the first inning of every single game, Olsen and Acuna combined for at least one run in the first inning of every single game. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Acuna is an absolute <laughs> monster. I'm a big Ronald Acuna guy. Um, one note. I, I've got a really positive note and a really negative note. And yeah. the positive note's technically from you, but I'm taking credit for it. Go for it, man. Um, in our last one, two, three, four, five series... We've played three teams above 500 and lost all three of those series. The other two series were against teams below 500, and we won both of those series. I'm sorry, you had a note? I was just going to say, all of the teams that are above 500 are, like, really good teams. The Rangers are 30 and 18 right now. The, the Red Sox... Red Sox are 22 and 20. They're they're 22 and 20, but the Red Sox are in the AL East, which is a really good division, and they have been... That is true. ...slaying. Um, is and also, true. the Braves are amazing. They're, like... 30 and 14 or 32 and 14 or something. Both those are fair, but counter-argument. Red Sox, not really that good. Record reflects it. And the Rangers, total phonies. I've been on this corner all year and I'm not backing off now. The Rangers are complete phonies. Not actually that good. 
Trojan horse. Embarrassing. <laughs> this might be a discussion for the future, but like the Rangers. The Braves are really good. <laughs> the Rangers capitalizing on a down year from the Astros is what the Mariners should have been doing all along. And uh, uh, yeah. it just sucks that we were not able to. It able should to be get us, but instead it's another team from Texas. God, I hate that state. When will that state just sink back into the ocean like Atlantis? Would anybody miss Texas? It's tough to say. I don't know that I would, but George Strait, that's we, it. We would get rid of the the red fire ants in Texas. That would be that would be great for my cousin who's allergic to them. Thank <laughs> God before they move west. We have to protect ourselves. Yeah. Um but so okay, that's that's fair. The good note. That was my negative point. My positive point, which is actually from you, is that Bryce Miller is doing historic things. Yeah, he is uh the Mariners pitcher, best Mariners pitcher through five starts, basically is the number that that we're that I'm trying to say. Uh, he has a 1.15 ERA through five starts. Uh, number two is James Paxton. He had a 1.16, and number three is Felix Hernandez with a 1.75 ERA. That is good company to keep. Obviously, the Pax Romana is not quite Felix Hernandez, but uh, still awesome. And you know, I think we're all kind of waiting for this Bryce Miller bubble to burst. Five starts is a sample size. It's not a huge sample size, but it's a sample size, and the guy has been awesome. He also had a start against the Braves, and it was still a quality start, and they scored two runs in the first. Like, And then, yeah. And then he shut him down. Shut him down <laughs> from there. Um, yeah, Bryce Miller's really good. Thank God whatever what's-his-name was got injured, so we don't <laughs> have to play him anymore. I, I forget. I don't know what he looks like. I can't remember anything about him. He's a gray blob in my memory. This is an interesting question. Imagine Robbie Ray comes back in a week. Robbie who? <laughs> comes back in a week. Robert Reynolds. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he comes He comes back in a week and can pitch. He's totally fine. Do you bring him into the rotation? Where do you put him? Do you slot him in for Marco at the five? No. Marco had a really nice start the other day. I know. He's four and one. Yeah. No. Robbie Ray gets to ride the bench and keep that shoulder nice and healthy for the end of the regular season <laughs> when we need him. And then again, immediately out for the playoffs. Give him the Chris Flexion treatment a little bit. Yeah. I... He can't be. He can't. There's no place for him. Sorry. No room at the end, Robbie Ray. Yeah, so so to elaborate on that, Marco Gonzalez, obviously we talked last week about his crappy ERA, but he allowed, I think, 13 runs in like four and a third innings in two, two different starts, and then the rest of them have been great. And so yep. you take that over, I feel like Robbie Ray has is like averaging three to four runs over five innings and like really Mar- wasn't doing you know amazing things last year. Marco right now is our fifth starter. Yeah. Yeah, if your fifth starter can give you two out of three solid outings that's amazing yeah are you kidding me that's fantastic um and robbie ray i don't know he seems like poison in the locker room you know maybe he's a great i guy. love robbie ray like <laughs> i know you hate him but I hate he's him. a great guy like i don't have anything against robbie ray okay here's a question for you as everyone who listens to this podcast knows cartwright over here is more of the baseball savant so i come to him with my pressing baseball questions what kind of contract does Robbie Ray have in terms of tradability? Now, he's hurt. He's going to be out this year, for all intents and purposes. That obviously diminishes his value. But if somebody wants to get a quality pitcher for the remainder of his contract, for well, I'd be willing to offer him for cheap. 
Is that reasonable? Is that out of the question? What do you think? Uh, that's a great question, actually. I, I like that a lot. Um, so he his contract, I believe, was $105 million over five years. So I think he's making $21 million every year. It might have been 115 where he's making 23 But in that 21 to $23 million per year. I'm amazed you're that accurate. Keep it coming. <laughs> um, I don't feel bad because you're giving me a $2 million range. That's incredible. <laughs> Uh, and it was over five years, so he is in his second year. At the end of his second year, when we'll have paid him forty-two or forty-six million. A lot of value left on that contract. Yeah, three you years know, left. Three years at twenty million a year. That's money that you could give Cal Raleigh, you could give George Kirby, you could give Logan Gilbert in the future, because um, you don't really want to touch those guys' contracts right now. Yeah, but for a guy that you don't need, for a guy that's completely expendable. I think at that point, though. Because you have George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, Bryce Miller, they're all on their rookie or like first, second year deals. They don't cost a lot. Like they're great pitchers, but they don't cost Bupkis really. Correct. Um, and so, in terms of tradeability, Robbie Ray could get you could get you a lot for a team that is down a starting pitcher. Like if you were to if you were to give him to the Yankees or trade with the Yankees, you could get. God, what a classic Yankees guy! And then he'd go to New York and play. 15 games a year while struggling with injuries. That'd be such a classic <laughs> Yankees signing. As I'm saying it, like, like give, give me their GM on the phone. He would sign Robbie in a second. Um, the problem is they already have four guys injured. They're on well, their, you, like, back nine they starters. They love those guys. They love, <laughs> they love tall, white pitchers that are hurt for most of the year. They really do. They really do. Um yeah, so all that to say, he has a decent amount of tradeability. I don't think that the Mariners will trade him because he's relatively affordable compared to the yeah. average, like, I wouldn't it's... say high end, but, like, you know, he's going to slot in at your two, your three, and... Hypothetically. Hypothetically. And so for that amount of money, that seems about right with the costs of players going up. You know, you have an ace pitcher like Max Serger and Justin Verlander who make $45 million a year. 21's kind of a steal. That's what Luis Castillo is going for, and Luis is on a bargain deal right now. Um, okay. With that being said, with the amount of talent that's on this team, with the starting pitching and the bullpen and Julio and Kalnick and the supporting cast, I think this team is over deep at the starting pitching position. And I think they would be remiss not to get one of the guys out of there for maximum value. Now, Robbie Ray just seems like the obvious answer because he's not playing. But maybe, as you're saying, because he's injured and because you are paying him this much, maybe his, uh, you know, tradeability, his value is kind of capped. What if we were to trade a guy like, obviously Marco doesn't have the same value, or what if we were to trade a guy like Kirby? Blasphemy. I know the the, the people are mad right yeah, now. Guys, guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so so sorry. Or even, and I, please don't. But like Bryce Miller, a guy that is hot, 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 he will either be a world-class pitcher and his value will stay similar to what it is now, or he will return to Earth. And now may be a good time to jump ship. These are just ideas. I don't want anything, any of these to happen. I want us to trade Robbie Ray. But is there a pitcher you see in this starting rotation that would be that would generate a lot of value back to the Mariners while keeping a really start, really solid starting rotation? Um. Yeah, all of them. Um. So the way that I would think about it is the Mariners have 
Bryce Miller, George Kirby, and Logan Gilbert through like 2026. I think they have Luis Castillo for another God, I love arbitration. Baseball yeah. is <laughs> fucked up, but it's great for teams. Yeah. So they're on great team-friendly deals, so they could get a lot. You could, you know, if you were to trade George Kirby for somebody, you might... I don't even want to think about that. What could we get for Logan Gilbert? I don't even want to talk I, about Kirby. I like Logan Gilbert as a person way more than I like George Kirby. So, like... What? I'm not getting dinner with the guy. I yeah, but I am. <laughs> that's, that's right. You are hitting the town. I, I don't know. I think, honestly, George Kirby's, like, from New York. I think he's, like... I don't think he's going to stay if he once he hits free agency. I see. And so I would trade George Kirby over Logan Gilbert. That's a hot take. I know, but that is a scalding hot take. But his value would be higher. Yeah. Like he has shown what he can be more than Gilbert. I believe in Gilbert, but Kirby is certainly a higher value guy at this point. Mm-hmm. What do you think the return could be for a guy like that? It depends are you talking prospects or are you talking like major leaguers? Cuz do we want a hitter? Like what are you, what are you looking for? Uh, I guess that would depend. Obviously, I don't think anything is going to happen for the next month or two. Well, so my, my thought is, if we're thinking about this, if the Mariners tanked right now, like they, did, they didn't win a single game until the trade deadline, they would trade Marco. They would trade Chris Flexen. They, if they wanted something big, they would trade George Kirby for a number one, number two prospect, um, along with other things. Obviously, it wouldn't just be that. Sure. But, you know... If if and obviously they're they're for you you guys at home they're not gonna trade George Kirby don't don't get us wrong please put the gun down <laughs> okay this is purely hypothetical this we're is, just this spewing. is speculative <laughs> do they, not but, look up our address online <laughs> but they would trade Marco they would trade Flex and they're probably gonna trade Flex at the deadline anyways but they would get rid of all the like baggage and oh my god. You just called Marco Baggage. He, he's, his contract is like $19 million next year. Oh, my heart. You just did such bad things to my heart. <laughs> um, and Chris Flexen, he pitches once every two weeks. Like Flexen, you can cut bait on that one. I'm yeah. okay with that. You, well, and so those two, obviously, because of the injury to Robbie Ray, uh, you brought Bryce Miller up. But Bryce Miller was like the next step. What happens after that if one of them gets injured? Then you have Flexen to bring in. But we're like two arm injuries away, which are, you know, pitchers are fragile beings. We're two arm injuries away from having an awful Only rotation. Only three of the best starting pitchers in baseball. Well, imagine, you know, say say Bryce Miller gets put on innings restriction and you have to start pitching Chris Flexen over him. Like, yeah. that really throws a wrench in, in, in your setup. But we are already one arm injury in. We have that built in. No. Um, that's a fair point. I would say the only way that... It'd be worth it to trade Kirby. Is like, as you're saying, we are 24 and 24 at this moment. If we win our next six, and the team says we want to trade Kirby to get a really good hitter, you don't do that. Why not? George Kirby's already established in Seattle, um, and his value is better than a hitter. And he, you know, but even you though he pitches every five days, a, you could get a hitter and a prospect. Yeah, but then you give away the thing that makes you good. Well, our starting rotation is still good. It is. He is it, probably our best pitcher right now. I'm just I'm just saying if... The, no, no. Okay. You're probably right. If we win our next six, we're keeping our starting rotation the way it is. <laughs> My point was, 
that's the only way we think of win now, guys. If it's, okay, we have overabundance of pitching, we need help at the bat, let's make a trade now to make that happen. But you're right, it wouldn't be Kirby. It would be Marco or it would be somebody else. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, so if you're if you're hot and you're winning, you don't trade George Kirby. If yes. you're down and you're struggling, you still don't trade George Kirby because probably not. he gives you a better chance next year and the following years. But with that being said, if things got really bad, I would consider something like Kirby for you know, a number two prospect and another couple prospects or something where you're turning him into, you know, a first round pick and a couple second round picks, you know, something along those lines. You don't want to turn him into picks. You want to turn him into prospects, but yes. I, there was an NBA analogy there. I'm out of my depth talking about <laughs> baseball. Um, one thing to note is if the Mariners do tank, I think I just, I just remembered that Luis Castillo is on his final year of his deal. Now, obviously the Mariners... I don't, I don't think the Mariners extended him. I don't remember that discussion. I think there was talks about it. Um, but if Castillo's on his last year of his deal, you trade, trade him. him as a rental. Trade yeah. him to a contender. Yeah, That's a good call. Um, Anyways, I don't like talking about yeah, this. Dis- it makes me feel bad. Why, are you, why did you do this to us? We're 17 minutes into this discussion on the Mariners. I'm, I'm done. The team is together. The team has won their last three games against the A's, as they should. They should be beating Goodness bad gracious. teams. Can you imagine if we lost the last three to the A's? I'd be cutting bait on everybody. Um, <laughs> Oscar would be off the team. I um, will be very excited. I am not saying another word about the Mariners until they win a series against a team above 500. On, on this podcast That's or it. in general? No, no, no. On this podcast. You can talk about them all you want. I will be a silent partner. I might host my own podcast next week, guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) Do it. Do it. I'm not saying a word until they beat a team above 500. Well, with that, I guess we can lead that into the break before we get going on a bunch of random topics. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Julio's Brand Cereal. Are you sick and tired of regular Fruit Loops? Do you want those same exact regular Fruit Loops to come in a oddly colored box worth twice as much money? Do we have the product for you? <laughs> Support the Seattle Mariners the only way you know how, by buying their cereal brand. Buy Julio's. Taste the O. I will say, the Mariners did have like a $500 Fred Meyer gift card giveaway, and I'm if, we, if I win that, I'm all spending Julio's. it all on Julio's. All Julio's. <laughs> We're eating breakfast well here, folks. <laughs> We're back. And what's the like main thing that's going on in the sports world right now, John? I guess it might be either the NHL or NBA playoffs. That sounds about right. Neither one is a team in Seattle, though. We couldn't possibly discuss those, could we? Let's discuss them briefly. <laughs> going to the NHL, maybe it's merciful we enjoyed a good series while it lasted because the Dallas Stars, who beat us in a seven-game series, are getting... Polly walloped by a team out of Sin City. Um, meanwhile, the Florida Panthers, oddly named, not a single Panther in Florida, just finished <laughs> sweeping the North Carolina Hurricanes. I didn't know Hurricanes made it that far north, but who am I to name these NHL teams? Um, not super competitive in the Stanley Cup Conference Finals. All I'm saying is the Kraken would have taken any of those teams to seven. Just That's just what they do. We do take teams to seven. <laughs> we do take teams to seven. We would have gotten at least one. Come on, guys. This is a poor showing. It's kind of like the NBA playoffs, all in all honesty. Yeah. Where's the f- four-goal game from pa- Pal- Pavel- Pavelski? Pavelski. Ah, oh, fucking Pavelski. 
Um, yeah, where's the four-goal game now, huh? Just doing that against us? <sighs> Exhausting. Here's here's an interesting discussion point. So the Panthers, I believe, did they beat the Bruins? Correct. In that first first series? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. They're the eighth seed. Um, They're the eighth seed, and they just swept their way to the Stanley Cup final. Crazy. Finals. Correct. It's, Hockey's a mess. Seems to remind me of another eight seed that's going through uh, some some great games right now. That is so true. Oh, that is fascinating. Also from the state of Florida. <laughs> oh, good. What do they got going through their water out there? Cocaine. <laughs> Thanks, Pablo Escobar. <laughs> um, but do you think the NHL regular season means anything? No. Nope. Not even a little bit. Um, Do you think the NBA regular season means anything? No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Um, Why? Because home court doesn't matter the way it used to. These teams are too good and too professionally built, and good teams can kind of just win wherever they have to. Denver is the only team in the NBA with like a real, actual home court and advantage. And it has nothing to do with the fans. It has to do with the altitude. The the percentage of oxygen in the air. Can you imagine if other NBA teams were just pumping oxygen out of the gym before game time? Um, No, home court does not matter. Or the regular, yes, by extension, the regular season does not matter in either sport. And both of them are desperately trying to convince us that they do matter. The NBA is trying to think of all kinds of fun ways to keep people engaged for the regular season. But frankly, it's just a way for, you know, teams to generate money. They they could really just have a playoff every year and just up the bracket a little bit, put all 16 seeds in each side in and play it out. But um, they'd be giving up too much cash. No, the regular season in both of those sports mean nothing. That's my take. How do we feel about the MLB regular season? <laughs> so that's 162 uh, games. Is it is it the same thing? You know, like what about football? Like what what is the regular season for? Football matters anything? a lot. Why? Because it's so short. Every one of those games carries real value. It also brings you into a single elimination game tournament where home court matters a hell of a lot more because you're not playing the game seven fucking times. If you're playing the game seven times, it doesn't matter if you're in Foxborough or not, but if it's one game and everything's on the line, yeah, being at home is nice. Um, NH- uh, MLB is actually a more interesting question, because I actually think that the regular season is so gregariously long that it, it actually... like weeds out the like bad teams. Well, yes, but it also, it's like, it goes through like, it's like a sine wave where it's like... Oh yeah, this doesn't matter, and now it matters. Now it doesn't matter, and then it matters again. <laughs> it's just weaving in and out. And over the course of the season, I actually do think it's kind of compelling. But I feel like the NHL and the NBA, there are so many parallels between those two leagues. Yeah. Um, and I do think, like fundamentally, I really truly believe the regular season is kind of broken in both those leagues. Thank God I love watching basketball, because there's no reason to watch the NBA regular season. There's just not. I think adding on to that is the issue of like play of players not wanting to play during the regular season, especially in the NBA. Yeah. Um, the NHL, there's a little bit more, I think, just ho- the hockey mindset. is yeah. like, Yeyeah, I want to be out there. They're competitive. Yeah. Take the tooth, doctor. I want to play. The NBA. So you're talking about revenue, and I feel like there should be a, there should be a, a not a 
what am I trying to say? Not a cost, but like a, so, something that should happen if a player is to miss a bunch of, especially home games or, or like the away game where they're at one, you know, they're, they're in New Orleans for one game a year and somebody's trying to watch LeBron or Curry or something and they don't play. Like, it's really for exposure of the NBA. Correct. In all, in all things considered. Like, they're trying to get the people to enjoy the sport. And it's it's hurting the sport that these players are missing these big games. Uh, from personal experience, I got tickets to the a Phoenix Suns-Denver Nuggets game in Phoenix this year. Sorry, listeners, I'm a Suns fan. Born in Phoenix, there's no team here yet, so... Yeah, we'll talk about that later. I'll abandon them as soon as we get our own team, but... Uh, and I was really excited. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker against Nikola Jokic. This is going to be amazing. Jokic didn't play. I can't get furious with him. It was late in the season. They'd secured the one seed. He didn't care about MVP. He did not <laughs> care about MVP. He wanted to stay a mile away from MVP. God, that conversation was getting tedious. Yep. Um, but he didn't play. And it was, you know, it was still a fun game, but it was disappointing. Particularly after watching this playoff and being like, oh... Jokic is putting together an all-time stretch and will probably win his first title. It would have been really fucking cool. I'm so sorry for all this swearing. But it would have been really cool to see him play live this year, and he didn't. And that's a real problem in the NBA. These guys just don't show up, and it's not because of injury. It's just because they don't need to. Yeah, if if yeah, the, because the playoffs matter so much and the regular season doesn't, you can kind of trade wins and... If you end up in the seventh spot, but you're still the best team, correct? Like the Heat, <laughs> <laughs> apparently, not uh, the best example. It, yeah. La- you know, Lakers are a better. Example. Lakers are a better example. But they like, rested a lot of a lot of Anthony Davis and LeBron. Yeah, and if you can get your team up and running and functional in the playoffs, yeah. it, it look, works. Look at Golden State last year. That's a great example. They were a five seed last year, I believe, yeah. four or five seed. I mean, yeah, and you have rested a lot of guys. It just doesn't matter the way it used to, and. That's going to be a problem in the coming years in the NBA. Like, Adam Silver is desperately trying to figure out what the answer to that is. Oh, a midseason tournament. Oh, we're going to not let you be on all NBA teams if you miss a certain amount of games. And those are good steps. You know, I'm not I'm not hating, but that is, like, the biggest obstacle for the NBA right now. It's the most popular sport in the world. Besides other than soccer. soccer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just forget about that one. Other than soccer. Um everything's going up the play is better there's more parity in the league everything's looking great except for the fact that stars have now realized they don't really need to play this that's going to be a big storyline in coming years i don't really know how to fix it they don't care they're making tons of money and the best players are still winning in the playoffs yeah i think i think one of the problems is it could be uh it could be just that it's like a player's league right now players can choose to opt out of their contracts or like request a trade and be gone in, you know, 15 days. Yes, um, very much a player's league. Kevin Durant, who is he going to go to the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame for? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody. I think he will absolutely... OKC is too bitter. They're not That's the him. thing. They don't like him anymore. Brooklyn will not. If he wins with Phoenix, he will, but otherwise he will not. The only chance is with Golden State. He did win two championships with Golden State. Yeah, but it's he was there and wanted to, like be the leader of a team or be the be the head honcho and it was there was no chance for that with Steph there there was no chance of it and that's why he left so yeah he's Kevin Durant what an interesting career mm-hmm. that guy's had but uh yeah I'm with you I also think it's just a product of 
the regular season is just a little too long. 82 games is too many. They've talked about cutting it to 72. That's an active discussion. I think if they went to like 54 games, I just think it would all matter so much more, and they will never do that. Listeners, it would lose if, a lot of money. If you're excited about that idea, the NBA is not giving up 30% of its revenue to in, to improve the product that we see. They would never do something like that. But uh, really, I think that's the only tenable solution. These guys are playing every four or five days instead of every one or two days. You know, they won't necessarily need to rest up as much. Yeah, to, to add on to that, I think... I don't know. I didn't watch enough NBA basketball this year to to really get a sense of it. But those players that have played for one team for a super long period of time and feel like they owe something to the fans, does it feel like there's anything there in that sense of like Kevin Durant or Kawhi who have moved around a bunch and don't really have any... they don't care at all. Yeah, they don't care. They're total mercenaries. Um, Like, does Luca? Luca is is kind of a bad example. But, like, Dame... like (laughs) Luca's a very bad example. Like, Dame... Dame wants to be in Portland and wants to play, and I'm sure, but he's, his body is, like, giving up on him. Yeah, well, that, that was its whole other set of issues. He was having the best year of his career, yeah. and the team shut him down because they wanted a higher chance at Wembenyama. They yeah. literally said, sorry, dude, we're not playing you anymore. How's that calf feeling? Dot, dot, dot. But, you know, I think there's something to that. I think Steph, as, a, like, a superstar, probably sat less than he could have. Partly because of the team's struggles, but also partly because he feels the need to get out there. Devin Booker, certainly a guy that played, he missed a couple stints with injury, for like real like hamstring injuries, but played every game he could because he's been a longtime son. I think it's just, I think the problem is the better you are in the NBA, the more the incentive there is to rest you. Every single time there's a little tiny tweak, you know? Yeah. Um, I just I don't know how you fix that. That may be something we we come back and have a full podcast on when the Sonics are around, and we're like, hey, thank God when we do our our three part spectacular <laughs> Sonics return, it's going to be a week, a podcast a day for a week, <laughs> drown the listeners in content. That'll be when we when we really take off. <laughs> <laughs> so much NBA. Um, anyway, I think that's enough ranting about the the state of the two. I guess we should mention... We didn't even really talk about the NHL. We were just like, fuck the NBA's current setup. We also didn't even talk at all about the fact that uh, the Denver Nuggets swept the Los Angeles <laughs> Lakers and are going to the NBA Finals. The Nuggets they, look so good. They look really freaking good. Thank God the Suns put up a fight. It's making the Suns look good vicariously. Yeah. Um, they will likely play the Miami Heat, who are up 3-1. But Boston might want to try to become the first NBA team to ever come back from 0-3. It'd be a great storyline for uh, for the NBA. They're also the two seed, or yeah, the two seed playing against the eight seed. So, you know, it wouldn't be too much kudos to them if they won the series like they were supposed to in the first place. But yeah, it would be kind of nice if they were the first ones to do that. Do you want to have the discussion about like the Celtics are supposed to be a more talented team, but what does talent mean when you're playing in the NBA and everybody is talented? Do you want to have that discussion? We don't have to. This let's is... let's have it. This is a this is a variety podcast. Let's yeah. just do it. Um, that I think that's an excellent point, and that point has been coming up a lot. Everybody's like, "Oh, all these undrafted wow. players. They're, they're so, so much more talented. They don't have Blake Griffin on their bench." <laughs> it's like, bro, Blake Griffin hasn't been good in five years. I think a big part of it too is just 
people relate talent to name recognition. Yeah. It's like, oh, Malcolm Brogdon. He was Rookie of the Year in 2017. Okay, what does that tell us about who he is as a player now? Can he play defense? No. Can he shoot the three effectively? Not particularly. He's kind of slow. Not the best passer. Ball handling's a little he's loose. A, he's a fine point guard. He's but like fine. Backup. Yeah, and yeah, he's fine. But he, there has been a lot of talk about that. And I, I just think the Heat have found like real basketball players. Just because they weren't drafted as high as some of these other guys does not mean they're worse <laughs> at the sport than them. Executives get these things wrong all the time. Yeah, the, the gap between Marcus Smart and Gabe Vincent is so small compared to the gap between Gabe Vincent and any college player. Like So true. It's like the gap between you and me. It's infinitesimal, but people think it's big. It's ridiculous. <laughs> It's like, no, we're basically the same player. <laughs> more of Are you talking about in basketball or just in general, in geotechnical engineering? <laughs> no, you're smoking me in that regard. That's like Gabe Vincent McCullough's player. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that's fair. I do think, I think I've met, made this analogy to you the other day as well, that like when you reach the professional level, the tiny differences become huge, where... Usain Bolt That's true. Yeah. was smoking. He was beating other guys by strides in the 100-meter dash for a decade. The fastest man in the world. And he was beating these other sprinters, running 100 meters by, like, 0. 0.1, 0. 0.2 seconds. Like, tiny, infinitesimal margins, but it looks huge on the big stage. Um, I feel the same way in the NBA. You're right. The difference between LeBron James and Gabe Vincent is a lot smaller than people think because we've never played one-on-one against LeBron or Gabe Vincent. Guess what? We'd get scored on every time by either one of them. Like, yeah, okay, it sounds like a bad analogy, but they would beat us 11-0. to zero. Either one of them would beat us 11-zip. Yeah, you specifically, not me. You would beat by 11-zip slower than I would, I guess. <laughs> I, would sc- I could score two points. You would hold on to the ball more, I know that. <laughs> At least I'm getting shots up. <laughs> Um, but yes, when they're on the court together, the small differences grow larger. Even with that being said, I'm still not sure how much more literally talented the Celtics team is. Yeah. Because people just attribute name recognition and draft position to talent. It's like, okay, why can't Caleb Martin be better than Malcolm Brogdon? Or or Jalen Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, that's another discussion, but yes, <laughs> correct. <laughs> At least he can hit his open threes. Um, why can't he be? Guy played basketball at Duke or Kentucky. Where did the Martin brothers play? Nevada, but... <laughs> uh, wrong brothers. You're right, he was in Nevada. Wolf, Wolfpack? Yeah, you like how I knew that? <laughs> Screw you. <laughs> All he had to do was say Duke. Um, the people would have fact-checked us, John. Don't yeah, you know? he was a D1 college star. People didn't necessarily see his value. He came to the league, worked on his three-point jump shot, plays solid defense, moves the ball, knows his role. You know what I will say, too, about the whole value discussion? I would say a role player that knows his role and plays it to perfection is more valuable than a guy who's like a pseudo-primary ball handler that's just like pretty okay at everything. 
You're I, talking about. You really want to talk about Jalen Brown right now? Don't I you? want to talk about that's <laughs> that is Jalen Brown. That is Marcus Smart. That has been Malcolm Brogdon in the series. They have all these guys that are like, oh, we're like a big name. Give us the ball, but then they're not that good at it. Give me a, a Jimmy Butler who is a monster, who is a primary ball handler and better than all the other guys on the Celtics, and surround him with role players that are excellent at what they do. Why can't that be a better team? So here's an interesting comparison. We've got the Nuggets right now, who are great. They're firing on all cylinders. All cylinders. Three years ago, they were playing the Lakers. They lost. They had basically the same structure, but Jamal Murray was... It might not have been three years ago also. But no, they yeah, had the same three, structure, the, but the bubble, Jamal, Jamal Murray was injured. Michael Porter was injured. And so their team was just like... Thrown and, and again, that might that's why it might not be last year because I think Jamal Murray was amazing in the bubble, but did he did he get injured at a certain point? No. Um, There's a lot of anachronisms going on here. You're making some good points. Let me just clarify. 2020, they played the Lakers in the conference finals. Jamal Murray and Jokic were healthy. I don't believe Michael Porter Jr. had been drafted yet. Okay. Yeah. Either way. Or, or he was like a rookie. He was new to so in terms of the core of the team, it was those two. It was Jokic and Murray, and they were really good, but they were young. Playing LeBron and AD, they just got beat. The last couple years, uh, Jamal Murray tore his ACL against Golden State in the regular season of 2021. He's missed the last two years. So the last two years, it was just Jokic alone. And Michael Porter was going through back issues and whatnot, yes. Correct. I don't know. So yeah, 2021, he lost to the Suns, who went on to the finals and lost to Milwaukee. And last year, I can't remember who they lost to, but it was Jokic alone. And this, so that's that's the point that I'm getting at is Jokic with a bunch of supposedly good role players, but maybe they weren't good at what they do, kind of the way you're saying. Yes. But now has supposedly better talent mm-hmm. in that regard, and they're playing a lot better. So that's there is a there is something to that, and just having more talent on your team obviously means you're better and can put you above Certainly. where you were. More talented teams tend to win. The yes. Teams with the biggest stars tend to win. Jokic is the best player in the world. He happens to be going to the NBA Finals. It's not It's not necessarily because of the talent of the role players around him. But with that being said, with like the Jamal-Jokic tandem, that has been consistent. Um, a lot of their biggest role players have cycled out. Will Barton was their sixth man for many years. Talk about another guy built in the Jalen Brown mold. <laughs> disrespect to Jalen Brown, of just a guy who's like, oh, I'm like your secondary primary ball handler, but he's not actually that good at what he does. Instead, they surround him with like Aaron Gordon, who's like a hyper overqualified role player, who's playing as a role player. It's like, okay. And he loves it. Yeah. You want me to play awesome defense and get rebounds and throw down lob dunks from Jokic? My dream job. (laughs) Bruce Brown, scrappy defense, cutting and threes. Um, this team is really built on just kind of like the perfect role players to surround Jokic with. He is the best player in the world. Jamal Murray's playing like a stud. Those are the biggest factors for why they are here now. But they also found the right guys in their own ways. They found their Gabe Vincents and Caleb Martins, even maybe a little overqualified um, in that they know their role and they're just sticking to their role. Guess what? Aaron Gordon's not taking a lot of pull-up threes He's not trying to handle a lot. He knows his role on the team. The Celtics, outside of Tatum, I'm not sure anybody knows their role. 
Marcus thinks he knows his role. Marcus Smart thinks his role is to be the best player on the team and talk threes. Um, but he's wrong, and nobody else knows what they're doing. I think that's that's the big thing is when you get a team that knows all of its own roles. Correct. You look at Golden State. Obviously, a great team in terms of the players. You've got Curry, you've got Thompson, you got Draymond. Poole didn't know what he was doing on this team. He obviously got in a fight with Draymond early in the season, and that yeah. really threw off the, his role and how he felt about the team. Um, and I think everybody else was still figuring it out in the playoffs. You've got the Suns, who were, by all intents and purposes, thrown together at the end of the season. That's fair. And uh, Kevin Durant and Devin Booker did everything they could, but you have their number five guy who doesn't really have a... There, there wasn't a number five guy who was consistently holding up that spot. You've got... That team might have been one that was like talent short. Maybe they yes. didn't... It wasn't necessarily an issue of knowing their roles. It might have literally been... Not enough yeah, talent. Yeah. You have to reach five a, players short. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to read a, like a talent like limit, and once you're past that, then it starts to matter if you know your role or not. Mm-hmm. You know, an interesting one is Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee was really good in terms of how they're put together. Everybody knows their role. I think they just didn't execute, which is one of the things. Um, the Lakers, I think they're, they were still figuring out everybody's role. Like Reeves should have had more touches. Yeah, um, LeBron kind looks of tired. The off there. He, uh, I think LeBron just is tired. He's thirty-eight. Like he's he, old. <laughs> he's tired all the time. He wakes up tired. Yeah. Um. You know, Rui is was still figuring out his role. There's just, I think that's what it is. Is like Denver. That team knows itself. They played together so much. Know that. And they've played together for years. If you're the quoting, heat, if you're quoting the art of war, you're doing something right strategically. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. So I think there's something to that continuity that I think a lot of teams are missing. That heat's a really good point too. All those guys, those are the two teams in the NBA that most know their role. And I think the Jordan Poole argument is an excellent one. He was kind of like a fun spark plug last year, but it has never been clear what Jordan Poole's role is on this team. And if you look at their championship runs, there was nothing like eccentric or spark pluggy about it. It was Steph Curry coming off screens, a rotating offense, good shooters shooting open threes. Nobody was doing anything outside what they should be doing. Draymond Green would move the ball. He would cut. He would attack the basket from time to time. He would shoot if the shot clock was at two. And that was it. Clay Thompson has done more wacky freestyling this year than in years yeah. past. Yep. It's kind of like a little bit of old man syndrome where he's like, no, 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 I still got it. Let me show you what I can do. It's like, no, no, Clay, you didn't do this when you were good. Please don't do it now. Um, and I think that's part of the reason Golden State wasn't as successful. The best teams in the history of the NBA, God, look at the Spurs teams back in the day. Teams that like completely understood what they needed to do and did it. Yeah. Underrated. Underrated. Screw talent. Build a team and have them know their roles. Yeah. I like that. Humility. How's that for one? I like that a lot. Um, Let's take a little, another break. Yeah. Oh, thank God. (laughs) So tired. (laughs) Let's, yeah, we'll take another break. Am I LeBron uh, late in the third quarter of the game? (laughs) Because I am exhausted. And we'll get into the, the really variety section of this pod, even though the last little bit has been a lot of variety. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. We didn't actually go anywhere. We're still here. Oh, my goodness. It's been several minutes for you, but just a second for us. <laughs> um, 
we just wanted to talk about some other things going on actually in the Seattle sports scene to finish off this episode. We figured we've teased you long enough with national discussions. Uh, first off was that the Seattle Storm season is underway. Uh, they lost their first game to the Las Vegas Aces, I believe. Um, and yeah, season is underway. News coming up. Game three in Seattle is against the New York Liberty. For those of you that don't immediately get my point, it will be Brianna Stewart's homecoming back to Seattle after abandoning us for the Big Apple. We have better apples here, Brianna. Washington is known for its apples. You've heard of Walla Walla? (laughs) You've made a huge mistake. The apples in New York are are bitter. Um, But anyway, that will be a very big game. That's on Tuesday. Yes. Right. If you're going to watch a Storm game this year, that's probably a good one to watch because the team is probably not going to be very good. Also, John will be there, so it's a great one to watch. I will be there. Don't look for me. You won't recognize me, and I'll deny it if you do. <laughs> <laughs> All our fans are going to come walk up to you and be like, oh my god, it's our guy. <laughs> From podcasting fame. <laughs> um, no, that'll be really fun. And yeah, we kind of discussed this already. The Storm are are primed for a very down year, yep. but not in necessarily a very negative light. A down year is not a bad thing when you have a shot at some... Uh, Premier talent. Really talented uh, women's college basketball players potentially coming out of the draft. So, um, probably a down year, but if you're going to watch a game, Tuesday against the Liberty, Brianna Stewart's homecoming... You said she already broke. She already broke the like single game scoring record They've for played for the Liberty. Two games. <laughs> that's un- that's impossible. I saw at, at a certain point she had like forty one in the third. Ah, oh, goodness. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Thank God we don't have to deal with her anymore. <laughs> Wouldn't want that on the team. Um, but that'll be fun. I'm hoping Sue Bird also attends to see Brianna, and then maybe we sit next to each other. Maybe we start chatting about our mutual love of hydrangeas and podcasting and uh she can hop on the pod and you know maybe the third host that we've been waiting for we've been saving the big chair for, <laughs> for somebody for one sue bird <laughs> yes. sue if you're listening please we'll get you a separate mic i know you don't want to sit next to us <laughs> you can record from home we'll stitch it together that'd be a, can you imagine if we got sue bird to co-host this podcast that would be that would be crazy we'd have to we'd probably have to change it would have to be sound up seattle with Sue Bird and Co. <laughs> we, we'd get the et al. treatment. I like that. I like that. But I'd be down. Um, but yeah, I think that's the big storm update. Yeah. Um, moving on, we've got just some nice UW women's softball news. So they were playing McNeese in... Uh, McNeese? Where's that? I have no clue. But <laughs> the, the McNeese had beat them one once before uh, during the, the, the day. The McNeese side? <laughs> That's actually the plural. It's McNoose. <laughs> oh, the McNoose. The McNooses. Um, but yeah, so Utah women's softball had just an amazing comeback. They had been, I believe, shut out through the first six innings and were down by six runs going into the seventh, um, which is the last the inning of softball. For those that don't know. Um, and they rattled off seven runs with two outs to surmount or to amount one of the. So you're saying they had no runs with two outs. I think I don't know that it was all. I see. Um, but at some point, but there were outs. definitely two outs, and they were down by a few. 
Um, what was historic about that? That sounds like a big comeback. It was just obviously. it was just a huge comeback because I I think that was like the biggest women's softball thing because this was to advance to the super regional. Oh, um, okay. And so yeah, that win like if they lost, they would have been out of the tournament. I did not realize um, that. I thought you were saying it was like the biggest comeback in the history of UW softball. It it very well could be six runs in one inning to come back and that is, is impressive. pretty big. Seven that runs is impressive. Um, but that's awesome. So they advanced. But really cool, really great for UW women's softball. They're, they've been really good for quite a while now. I think Danielle Laurie is one of the one of the key UW women's softball figures and just like softball figures in general. In, is she uh, a coach? In the US. She she was a player, I think, in the early 2010s. Um, oh, well, this is 2023. Yeah, well, she still like comes by, but she's <laughs> she, she's I think a coach now for uh, the USA softball team. Oh, okay, for McNeese. <laughs> She's coming back for revenge. Oh, um, well, that's great. But that's yeah, fantastic. just UW women's softball. They had a really good game, and they they advanced to the Super Regional. That was earlier this week. Um, and I believe the big tournament starts uh, June 1st next week. Fantastic. So hopefully, yeah. I think we're in that. Do you know who the first game's against? No, I'm asking it too much. Okay. I haven't looked. That's totally fair. Well, congrats to UW women's softball. Just got to get a little shout-out. Seventh inning stretch indeed. Um, other than that... A uh, little zag talk. People listening to the pods know I love to talk my zags, and along with our laundry list of other super podcasts, we promise we're going to get to. We promise. I think we'll do a preview to college basketball, in which Tyler will be generous enough to let me rave about the zags for several minutes. But briefly, uh, touching on some big uh, transfer portal news, Caleb Love, the junior guard out of UNC, who had previously committed to Michigan out of the transfer portal has decommitted to Michigan, which I love to hear. If anybody has the chance to decommit to Michigan, it feels fantastic. <laughs> Trust me. feels really Did you do good. that one? Oh, every time I can. Every chance I get, I decommit to Michigan. Um, and with that decommission, he's listed Gonzaga in his top three schools, along with Arizona and Texas. Fun fact about that. Another top-tier prospect in the transfer portal this year, listed Gonzaga in his top three, along with Arizona and Texas. One Ryan Nemhard, who committed to Gonzaga. So I like to think Caleb's laying a little bit of breadcrumbs there, saying, hey, Arizona and Texas are out here, but I want to go to Gonzaga, because I want to do exactly what Ryan Nemhard did. If he did do that, I would love the chance to push uh, Hickman, Nolan Hickman, to the bench. He'd be a great bench player. He would be a great bench player. God, please play off the bench. And then allow Ryan Nemhard and uh, and Caleb Love to start. I think that would be a pretty dynamic backcourt. So. Who, who else did Gonzaga lose this year? They lost Timmy. I actually have this list up in front of me right now. It's a very comprehensive. <laughs> no, I don't want a Coles ad. <laughs> Ridiculous. Who did we lose? We lost Hunter Stallis. He entered the transfer portal and committed to Wake Forest. We did like him, but... We did like him. It's okay. But we never played him. It's it's That one's on few. Timmy is gone for obvious reasons. Rasir Bolton graduated. Dom Harris uh, committed to BYU, took some very gregarious pictures in BYU regalia, and then immediately decommitted and went to Loyola Marymount. If you guys haven't seen it, look it up on Twitter. It's hilarious. He was wearing like a big BYU clock. He was posting all this stuff on Instagram, and then immediately... Committed to Loyola, so that was really funny. And then Efton Reed, everybody's least favorite seven-foot sophomore, uh, also committed to Wake Forest. 
Can um, get, is that where Tim Duncan went? It's where somebody went. It's I Tim Duncan or Chris Paul, I feel like. I think Chris Paul sounds reasonable. I don't know yeah. where Duncan went. Anyways. Strother is uh, committed to the draft. He can't come back. Malachi Smith committed Strother to the draft. committed to the draft. He did. I didn't realize that. He'll wow. be a second round pick. Yeah. He'll 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 be drafted. And then Malachi Smith committed but can come back if he would like to. Anton Watson is currently undecided. That's a really, really, really big one. For obvious reasons, we would very much like Anton to come back. Um, and if he didn't, that would be a big loss. We have Hickman, Ben Gregg, Caden Perry, Kellen Mitchell, Colby Brooks, Abe Eagle, Brandon Huff, and Joe Few returning. Thank goodness Joe Few is returning. He's going to be really, <laughs> really big. big minutes. He's going to be waving that towel with great intensity <laughs> off the bench. He, he's a six-foot sophomore guard, Joe Few. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, all that is to say, you guys lost a lot. Gonzaga did lose a lot of good of their starting and most of their role players. Correct. And then we got in the transfer portal, Nemhard, Graham Ike, and Steel Venters, three big transfer portal guys. And we'll have Yun Seok Yu. Um, the guy we talked about. A 6'8 yeah. forward out of Korea. That guy's a monster. He's out of Seoul. Guy's really good. We got Dr- Dusty Stromer coming in. He's a 6'6 guard who should be really good. Really pure shooter. And Alex Tui, who, to be honest, I don't know anything about, so I'm not going to pretend. So that's kind of a, a look at what the Zags are at. All I'm saying? Stitch Caleb Love in there, and, and I do think it's a pretty team dynamic looks team. Amazing, but you're right. Going through the list, we did lose a lot. We lost a lot of guys. Yeah. Um, moving on to a little UW basketball roster news because who doesn't love UW basketball? So to, feel free to tune out at this point, <laughs> listeners. If you don't want to listen to the end of this, that's fine. Yeah, skip ahead another two minutes. And <laughs> you, can, you can listen to our outro. Um, so the UW in uh, early April added. Uh, a guy from University of Portland, Moses Wood, who uh, was who was the son of David Wood, a former NBA player who played, and he's from Washington State. Um, they added a guy. He's from Portland, so he's, and they went fourteen and nineteen last year. So Portland wasn't amazing by any means, um, but he's he's a pretty talented scorer, I believe. He was kind of used as a as a three point shooter and defensive specialist. He I think he he says he averaged. Uh, Oh, where is it? 15.3 points per game and uh, 6.3 rebounds per game, their top rebounder. So it sounds like he might be more of like a stretch four type player, um, which would be nice considering the Huskies have not had a, a good shooter in years. So, <laughs> <laughs> How many years has it been now? <laughs> um, all it is to say there's, they still lost six guys at the at the end of this season to uh, the transfer portal and graduation. Um, so they've got a lot of building to do. Uh, and I'm not expecting a ton of great things from UW basketball. But. It's a bummer they're not more of a target in the transfer portal. Why aren't more players not trying to transfer to UW? Mike Hopkins is not a good coach. We've talked about this. Yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, I think I think things will change this year if if things don't straighten out. I really wish that Tommy Lloyd had gone to UW instead of Arizona. That would have been great. That would have been a great rivalry. And then he could have played Mark Few every year. Battle for Seattle. Ugh. Mark Few against against Tommy, um, but not to be. Yeah, all that is to say, UW's not looking amazing. Gonzaga should be all right. You know, they're they're going to be a top ten team. To yeah, start Gonzaga the should be all right, <laughs> top ten overall. Um, well, that's the fifty-five minute mark, and frankly, 
I can't believe it's taken us this long. I know. We started this this prep work, and we were like, oh, we could talk for 40 minutes. Yeah, with the tight 30-minute episode. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. It's a good thing we don't have a time limit. Yes. Thank you guys for listening. We really do appreciate it. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify. You've already found us, so you know what to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sound Up Seattle can be found uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Sound Up Seattle, all one word, all lowercase. Uh, you can find me, Tyler, at Tycart50 everywhere. Um, and, and you can find me at the Storm Game on Tuesday. Look for the tall white guy. Good luck. <laughs> you just call yourself tall? I don't know. That's the, that's the truth. I'm six one, son. No, bigger, you're not. Bigger than you. False. You're you're definitely bigger. Rotter shoulders and everything. <laughs> <laughs> damn, damn straight. I'll take I'll take the shoulders with the rest. Um, but we hope you enjoyed this episode. We hope you have a good. Uh, this should be out Thursday. So we hope you have a good Thursday. And uh, have a great Memorial Day weekend. It's going to be a great one. We're going to be out backpacking. It's going to be amazing. That's right. Tyler, first backpacking trip. Getting him out in the woods. If we never record again, you'll know something horrible happened. <laughs> um, I guess go M's. Go M's now. Go M's. Kirby, we love you. Stay. Stay. <laughs>